Good morning, Elementary Church. That was an enthusiastic good morning. Thank you all. I'm back. They didn't kick me out. Well, they even a yay after that. My goodness, I wasn't expecting that. As, uh, as they said, middle school students will be singing here. My two kids are like, oh, we have to listen to him again. But thank you all. You're so kind. And thanks to the worship team. I realize as I'm preaching on worship, we should have, after those first four, those four songs are just phenomenal, uh, just inspiring. And the, and the lyrics are phenomenal as well. And ironically, just perfectly pour into the message this morning. I also want to point out uh, Maribel, who normally is in our E3 Kids. And I, wasn't, I was listening to the worship, but I was just watching this masterpiece unfold before my eyes. So I just want to acknowledge her and her work, and we'll bring her back up later on in the message as we go forward. Before we go into the message, I'll play a little game this morning. Is that okay with y'all? It's called Theological Anthropology Game. It just runs right off the lips, okay? And as game show host, this is a really simple game. All you have to do is point at the body part that I list off here this morning. And if you're online, I see there's several people online worshiping with us and just want to say good morning and welcome to you. I see Cody. I see Sharon. uh, I see Karen, Melissa. Just welcome. And if I'm missing anybody, I'm sorry. You're just not popping up in the chat as I'm looking at it on my screen here in front of me. But all we have to do is just point to where I say, are you ready? Okay. Brain. Good. And I'm looking. The middle school boys are pointing right here. That's perfect. Good job, guys. Okay? Yes. Okay. So your brain is part of theological anthropology. What makes us human? We all, most of us, have a brain. Some of us are kind of wondering if maybe my spouse does at times, but that's another story. Theological anthropology, how is our brain, and where does it connect to the different parts of my body? Now, most of us said, hey, my brain somehow told my finger to point back towards my brain, or my brain, depending on who you, how old you are and what your, your view of the world is. This, this idea of our brain is a huge part of who we are as people. Okay, secondly, kidneys. Yeah, you just got to stretch a little bit. I know you're all tired, okay? This is your stretching as well. Kidneys are, are part of what? Our body, right? And some of us who pointed somewhere here, okay? We'll talk later. We'll give a biology class, okay? <laughs> this is, I think this is your lungs in here, right? And then the heart's somewhere in here, yeah. This idea of kidneys, there's a body that's connected to the brain, and it makes everything kind of work more or less. I was just talking to somebody this morning. The body sometimes does what our brain tells it to do, and then sometimes the body says, nope, not doing that this morning. And it seems like that happens more and more the older I get. I don't know what the correlation is there. All right, let's go for your heart. Okay, now theologically, you're not right. Because your heart is what? Your emotions. It's how where you feel. Now, when you all feel emotion, it's the strong, overwhelming emotion. Some of us felt it in the music we just sung. Where do you feel emotion? Everywhere. That's fine. Yeah. And then some people are saying up here. And I look around and some people are saying down here. And some people are kind of generally still in that heart area. And isn't that interesting that we all kind of feel emotion a little bit differently? Theological anthropology wants to plumb the depths of how does emotion fuel us and how does emotion sometimes take us a place we shouldn't go? Okay, this one, next one. Spirit. <laughs> Some of you are doing the Macarena right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry, my fault. I won't do that again. I'm sorry, Judah. This idea of our spirit is what we call ambiguous. 
And for those who were with us last week or are worshiping with us online, ambiguity, ambiguity, I'll get there, is something that isn't necessarily bad, but it is hard to define. If I say, where's your spirit? Most of you are going like this, right? And, and, and that's good. We'll get back to that. Here's the last one. You ready? Soul. I'm, I'm looking around. Yeah, we're, we're seeing... <laughs> Okay, can I, can I point that out just real quick? Yeah, okay, we got, a, we got a, a guy in here who's pointing at his wife, okay? Everybody, aww. I'm not gonna point, yeah, you get bonus points for that one. I did not plan for that to be, but that's like, that even warms my heart just a little bit. This idea of our soul is ambiguous. And we'll get to that in a moment, but in talking about worship, we have to mention our soul and our spirit. So we're going to spend a lot of time this morning in understanding the ambiguity of what worship is, but how it pours into and what exactly our spirit and souls are. I remember as a, a little mini Scott, fourth grade version Scott, we were talking in our Methodist church that I grew up in that, hey, you have this spirit and this soul. And I remember asking my mom at that time, hey, where's my soul at? And she did the exact same thing. Uh, it's kind of in here. For a long time, I thought that there's an actual organ in your body that was the soul. And so we're going to plumb the depths of these two ideas as we understand how they correlate back and discuss into worship. Now, we talked last week that our mission at Element 3 Church is to do what? If you don't know, just look at the screens, okay? The answer's on the screens. It's to make disciples. Everybody together. Our mission is to? Make disciples. Good. And it was ambiguous. And that mission is a great mission because it's exactly what Jesus calls us to do. We discussed that last week. And the review, if we had to put it in words, is to take off myself, take off Scott, and put on Jesus Christ. That's a big ask. But day by day, moment by moment, for our entire lives, we're called to do that. And it doesn't matter if you meet Jesus when you're 99 or if you meet Jesus when you're 9. Our goal and our mission is to help everyone, including ourselves, to do that taking off ourselves and putting on Christ. And that goes into our vision. If we put our vision up on the screens here, it's that we will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples dwelling at the intersection of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture. That's a huge and beautiful vision statement. I had a few people ask from last week's sermon, do I think our vision statement is bad? No, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. But it is ambiguous because we don't have measurable ways of saying, hey, we're achieving our vision. We, we can't say to a person, hey, did you, do, you, do you think that you're at deep faith, authentic community, or emerging culture? Those can be varying things and varying ideas. But the point of this is that we are going to understand through this sermon series just what this is and take away some of the ambiguity. This week, we're going to focus on worship, which for me is its own sermon series. Using the Psalms, I believe we could take 10 to 20 to 52 sermons in a row, just understanding the depth of what worship is. And the Psalms would be the perfect book to do that. But since we're only in one week, and apparently some of you want to have lunch after the service, we're not even to football season yet. Some of you are saying, hey, the Jets kick off soon. No, nobody's a fan of the Jets. <laughs> That's not in my notes, by the way. That just kind of came out out of nowhere. But I hope the understanding of this intent of this sermon is to help galvanize that an element of E3 Church is worship. And being worshipful disciples 
means that we are called and connected in this action, in this verb of worship, and that it does affect the entirety of who we are in both our spirit and in our soul. This isn't just your average, ordinary sermon. And so the concept of how it has an application will take us some stretching as a people. And remember, this is literally shaping our eternity. I've done a lot of studying in terms of theological anthropology and how it relates back to worship. I'm going to identify two different persons who've really helped me understand this and hear from the pulpit that these are my beliefs and my studies, and you may see completely different than me, and that's a beautiful thing, that we are united in the essentials and on the non-essentials, like what is my spirit, my soul, we can have beautiful conversation. So as we move forward, I hope and I expect that you ask questions and you challenge my own views of these two ideas and how worship can invite and define them. So with that in mind, let's start with spirit, with spirit. Kevin Van Hooser, who's a professor at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, has had a great relationship with me. Uh, I've only listened to him. He's never listened to me. And he has a beautiful and amazing profound view of what the spirit of a room is. It's very simple. When there are two or more people gathered together, there is a spirit among them. And I see some people shaking their head. That's a Bible verse, yes? Yeah, if you jump ahead way into Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says this. And that idea of a spirit is shown in a numerous facets in our worlds because we are spiritual beings. We're spiritual people. We want to have a spirit. Us all, doesn't matter how much introverted you are, during that pandemic, our spirits were all hurt because we cannot connect with other people and have a spirit among us. See, friends, there's a spirit for a candidate for a political office. Without a spirit in a political office candidacy, it's just a guy saying he wants to be president, which is kind of funny. There's a spirit of a stadium full of people. If I started singing the FSU fight song, I guarantee some of you would start clapping along, right? I don't know it. <laughs> now, if there's, if there's one thing I can tell you, and we're going to get derailed now, oh, jeez. I thought about taking this, this line out, but here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I mean, if you start singing the Nebraska fight song, I'll start clapping along. My son will. I don't, okay. Hail to the team. There's a spirit of a bar. And some of us have been or know people who would prefer going to the spirit of a bar than the spirit of a church. Because there's a levity about it, right? There's darts and pool, and now they have axes. I mean, come on. That's a fun place. There's a spirit of a family. And when a family's spirit is broken or when it's severed, there's nothing more painful than that. There's a spirit of church and spirit of church teams and committees. There's a spirit of a store. You can't tell me, ladies especially, but men as well, when you go into Target, it is a different spirit than going in the spirit of Walmart. I got it. Amen, I think there. There's a spirit of Chick-fil-A versus a spirit of McDonald's. Ooh, whoa. That's a guttural reaction right there. Online, help them out. Help us stay on topic. See, friends, Eastern cultures on a whole understand this concept 10,000 degrees better than we do. That their spirit comes when people unite together around a certain topic or a certain idea. Americans just tend to try to monopolize or make some sort of capital on any sort of spiritual adventure. But what Jesus does and what God does is God and Jesus 
tell us that inherently our divine God, the one God, is three in one, and so is a spiritual being in itself. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all God. They're all the same substance. But all three of these are communicating with one another. And it appears, at least on face value, that they all know exactly what the other one's thinking and saying and doing, but they're all three separate entities. And this separation yet unity at the same time is what I think we all are desiring in our lives. We want to be connected with others who look and act and who are different than us in so many ways. And what's interesting is that God seems to have programmed us that when we sing or play music or hear anything that has a beat, we fuel that spirit. See, the spirit of ourselves and the Holy Spirit can be riled up by music, sacred and secular. It can be stoked and inflamed by visual art. As Maribel's doing a wonderful job right now. It can be fueled by any sort of activity, whether it be woodworking, accounting, whether it can be being in a room full of people who are rooting for a game that is just insane, the rules are. We see that the spirit can be stifled or, or inspired in a church service because many of us have been to churches where there is no spirit of God in that room. Just the same as we've been in places where the spirit of God is moving every single person doesn't matter how it sounds. It sounds great, by the way. But this spirit of God is in this place because we feel connected. We feel fueled. We feel that theological anthropology topic being lifted up in ourselves. Here's the main point. Godly worship is fueled by spirit and by the Holy Spirit. It's reciprocal. In that the more you spend time in worship here in a group gathering group or online or in your growth group worshiping or wherever you're doing, even in the car with the windows up and no one can hear you sing except yourself and you know how you sound, but it still sounds heavenly. No matter where you are, the more you worship, the more your spirit is filled and then that growth of the spirit then fuels your worship all the more. With that in mind, let's move to soul. Mark Cortez is a good friend of mine, and he helped shape my idea of what a soul is. And I gave you this topic in the theological anthropology game, which is everybody's favorite game, and they're playing it at home. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. This idea of soul is one that's impossible to point to because unless you can go back in time to the beginning of your life where you're born and go forward in time to your death, whenever that will be, that is the entirety of the person is your soul. And for many of us, our souls will live on for eternity because that's what Jesus says we're going to get to do. And so your soul is not a thing you can point to. It is the entirety of the person and the sum total of the entirety of the person, which just hurts my brain, right? Because my soul is both the nerdy 12-year-old who played Star Wars cards and had acne all over his face and my soul also is going to be a grandfather someday to the most beautiful grandbabies ever created in the world. No offense to y'alls. It's both. It stretches over time, and it's every single interaction, every single thing that has ever happened. And so for our souls, we have to realize they have no earthly age. They have no earthly value. You can't profit on someone's soul. And they are incredibly malleable. 
yet so rigid and strong. There are those in the room who could attest to that we have a stronger connection to our soul because of suffering, because of wisdom, and experiences in our life. Some of us have old souls because we've just been connected in a way that others can't understand and describe. And it's not because they're lesser than us. It's just different. And friends, the amazing thing about worship is that unequivocally, worship affects the shape of your soul and reflects the objects of the person's worship over their entire lifespan. Again, Psalms states this so beautifully. Here we see mainly the person of King David who writes the majority of those Psalms and he pours out his soul. There are times where I read Psalms and I say, what is this guy smoking, right? Because it's such an interesting way of looking at God or the world or his pressures of being chased by King Saul or whatever it is. And so David gives us this whole lifespan of knowledge in these lyrics that we don't have the music for any longer. And we see that in the New Testament, Paul and Jesus encourage us to sing and to worship and to do all the outpouring of changing the entirety of our soul. I want to pick on this verse here. We want to put that up here in Colossians. Chapter 3, going into verse 16 and 17, it says this from Paul, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks of God the Father through him. So we see that our soul is impacted and changed because of the ways in which we worship and what we worship. Some of us have had our soul shaped by worshiping an idea. Ideas like science. It's all ideas. A lot of it's true and it helps us understand our life. We get microwaves from that. A lot of us would say that freedom is an idea we have worshiped. And this idea of being free at all costs is one that we have to understand has it shaped our soul. Some of us have worshiped an institution, whether it be America or football, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, soccer, polo, business, whatever you've worshiped there. Some of us have worshiped money and had our soul shaped because of that. Some of us have worshiped an emotion, happiness, that at all costs I have to be happy, and your soul has been shaped by that. Some of us, on contrary, have worshipped sadness. That because I'm sad, it will change the shape of my soul. Some of us worship other people. Not just your celebrities, but we worship our loved ones. We elevate them to the place of God, and so that shapes our soul. Some of us worship our own children. We've seen... The danger that worshiping people in political figures can cause in both the spiritual side, where a bunch of people do things that seem incredulous, on both sides of the aisle, by the way, and they also will shape their soul based on the worship of a political figure. See, friends, the point of this is that worship in all forms changes our soul and affects our spirit. So with that in mind, I want to give us three worship truths to help guide us on how to apply these. The first one is this, is that we are made to worship because we are spirit and soul. John Calvin states that we are, and our purpose of life is to worship. 
and he states to worship Jesus Christ. Now, I will say that in my experience, when I worship Jesus and I worship Jesus with all that I am, not just in singing, but in everything that I do, it changes me for the better because I become more like Jesus. I become discipled. It's a part of the element of our entire mission. Secondly, worship has a temporal and an eternal effect. I can worship knowing that this hour will be forgotten probably by the time I get up from my Sunday afternoon nap. But boy, does it have an effect for eternity that's immeasurable. Third, worship is a holistic giving of body, mind, spirit, and our soul to something. It's giving our entire self to something else. We worship in ways that sometimes we want to admit, and sometimes we worship in ways that we say, ooh, I shouldn't have done that the last 10 years of my life. I worshiped a substance, or I worshiped an idea, or I worshiped a person that, boy, I need to pull them down away from God. As I look at what Maribel's painting here, and it's just amazing, and you never noticed she was nervous coming up here today, would you? Just incredible. And as you watch and see her worship coming out from a talent that God has given her, one that's shared with people, I hope it challenges you and inspires you to think, how can I worship God through my normal life? It might not be your nine to five, and it might be. Can you worship God because of the people you come into contact with by treating them so good that they know that you have something different about you in the way you view yourself and the world around you? Can you worship God by a hobby or a thing you do, by giving glory to the one who gave you the gift in the first place, and not just either hiding it or hoarding it for your own benefit? That's what I love about church, is that we do this, we do all of this for his benefit, for his glory. And churches who do it for their own glory or their own selfish desires tend to have their own comeuppance later on in their life. It may take a few generations, but those churches end up worshiping a person or they end up worshiping an idea or a place or a building or a stained glass window somewhere, and those churches will inevitably fall in upon themselves. See, when we worship in this way, we affect the entirety of our mission. I want to put up the picture again that we showed up last week of this idea of a bounded set versus a centered set. And I have no doubt that Element 3 Church falls into the centered set. Real quick, there's churches who have a bounded set where you're either in the club, and if you're in that red circle there, then you're saved. If you're out, then you're unsaved, and you have to go either evangelize or you have to badmouth those people outside the circle. We've all been to churches like that, or we know of churches on TV like that. That's the idea. The centered set, though, says that it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, how old you are, or what your prior beliefs are, or where you are in the world. I mean, the person least likely to accept Jesus has a seat at the table. I used to use, and in all seriousness, without any sort of politicizing or anything like that, I'd say, hey, Osama bin Laden in the center set has a place at Jesus's possibility of salvation. People say, oh, that, that, no. Yes, 
every person from the Bible says they were created in the image of God. And as image bearers, we have the opportunity to come into relationship. Now, some of us didn't see that on the right picture there, there's some dots that are white and some dots that are blue. And this is where we get to the next level of this, is that when we worship God, we move closer to Jesus. And when we worship other things, we move away from Jesus. And you have an opportunity to perform our mission by moving those blue dots into white dots. By the ways in which I just explained, your normal nine to five, the way in which you interact with your family, the way in which you do life, you're not going to be perfect all the time. That's the beauty of the centered set, is that as a community, as people together, as spiritual beings, we help each other grow closer to Jesus. No matter our past, no matter our future, we are in this together. Got it, E3 Church? Some of you got it. I didn't hear everybody. Online, just chat and help them out, okay? Say, I got it. That was only 90% of y'all. I'm going to wait till we all got it. You got it? There you go. There you go. How and where you worship contributes to the direction whether you head towards Jesus or away from Jesus. So I have two questions for you. First is this. How will you worship this week? How will you worship this week? Online, type it in. Don't type like this. And if you're driving, don't type at all. Secondly, who and where do you worship? The beauty of me coming in, and this is my second sermon in a row. I'm hoping for a three in a row. The beauty of this is that I don't know where you all are worshiping, and I don't even know who's new to this community and who's been here 16 years. I'm still meeting new faces. I'm still getting to know testimonies. And so I asked a question last week, where are you doing our mission? Where are you discipling people? And I asked our staff this week in staff meeting, and it was one of the coolest moments to hear these stories that I have no idea that so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's sister or so-and-so's cousin or second cousin removed twice, whatever, mailman that we're all in this together, that we're all doing this mission. And when we do that, our church will do, it'll become more holy, it'll become more Jesus. And when we do this mission, we will move together and grow this church in all facets and all ways together in amazing ways. So I wanna know this, and I'm so into this, I want you to share with me the answer to these two questions. My email's up on the screen right now, scottatelement3.org. Don't just think that this is a, oh, the pastor is trying to do a good job and I'm not gonna send anything, but it sounds like fun. Some of you are asleep right now and that's good too. This is authentic. You can use this or you can use Facebook Messenger. You can text me if you have my number. If you want my number, come talk to me after the service. You can have any number of ways of communicating with me, but I want to know where you're worshiping because I want to encourage that I want to help that. That's one of my favorite things I get to do as pastor is interact with actual people. And I'd rather interact 99% of my week and spend 1% on sermon prep and all the other stuff, the office duties, because that's where we're going to do our mission. We don't administrate people closer to Jesus. We don't help people by filling out forms or doing things like that. We, we disciple people closer to Jesus. And that's what I want to do.
I hope this week, you not only complete our mission, but you consider where and how you're worshiping and let those areas of your life transform you both now and forevermore. It's in that hope, I hope we see our vision fulfilled. To close our service this morning, I want us to stand and I want us all just to look at the screens and read together this amazing vision of what we're hoping to accomplish as a church body. And again, whether you're brand new, this is your first week, or whether you've been here forever, this is what we're achieving. This is what we're hoping for. This is what we're going for. And I want us to all join together as a closing benediction, and we're done reading, you're dismissed, to see that this is what we're meant to do and called to do. You ready? We will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples dwelling at the intersection of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture. Amen. Be blessed. Thanks for worshiping with us, both in person and online. See you next week.